0: Hello, Seaside. It's good to see everyone today. Uh, my name is Myunghwa Choi, as Pastor Caleb introduced me. I think his introduction is memorized. This is verbatim. Always the same thing. Uh, but I, I am Myunghwa Choi. I'm one of the pastors from Hillside Campus, which is in Seoul. I was born and raised in Busan. This is my city, my hometown. So it's always my pleasure and honor and joy to come down here and always to see new people. So, um, if you are new today, uh, really welcome to our church, welcome to Seaside Campus, and I will really I encourage you guys to connect after the service. Uh, talk to me, talk to Pastor Caleb, Pastor Mina, and our leaders and our members. And we would love to connect with you and also share the burger at the Shark is on Tuesday. Amen. So yeah, so please come and talk to us. It's really good to have everyone here. Um, My uh, official like title my position is I'm the executive director of community life. And what I do is I bring in the strangers, and then I turn them into the sons of the house. I turn them into family members of this house, and that's what uh, my main focus of the ministry is. So I would love to meet you guys, and it's really good to be here. Um, I have to start with a shout-out to my Malaysia team. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, Last time I shared that whenever I come back from like a major trip, like a missions trip or like intern swap and things like that, I always get to share my stories and testimonies first at Seaside. And this time, I didn't plan it, but it's it's the same way. I came back from uh, mission trips to Malaysia, uh, the island of Miri, right? Borneo. Miri's the city. <laughs> yes, I was there only for a week, so. <laughs> but we really had a powerful trip, and then we came back with so much testimonies, and I am so very proud of uh, Julie, who just shared her testimony, and also Catherine, which, which was our name on the team. She was the youngest on the team, but they were amazing. They were clutch. Like They were Fantastic. Uh, I was so proud to see them really stepping out in faith and doing everything with such a heart of sonship. I was blown away by, uh, Catherine's maturity. Uh, even though she's really young and she's like, are you barely 20, right? You're, you're, you're 20. Okay. She's like 20, but then she really acted like a mother for the team. And I was so blessed to see, like, Catherine such a young girl, like moving in the anointing of God and in the maturity. And then truly, you guys all know she's just, awesome. Like her mom's here. I'm not trying to like <laughs> hype her up here, you know, but truly, truly was so sacrificial. Everything that she did was just out of love, out of sacrifice. And I was so blown away uh, just to see You know, meet the sister in that new way again. Man, Seaside was amazing. So I'm so proud of all the pastoring and sowing that went into these two sisters that were represented. But I really believe that's really what's happening at Seaside. And I got to really see the fruit of uh, what's going on in this room, right? So Malaysia was amazing. I will hopefully get to share some of the stories. Uh, Today, I am speaking from Ephesians chapter 4. I am preaching a sermon series on Ephesians, and this is, I believe, like my 11th sermon on this book. But it's really um, interesting how um, I don't get to choose the passage, per se, because I am following the order of what Apostle Paul wrote. But it's so interesting and amazing that how it speaks into situations. Whenever I speak at Seaside or at hillside or at Itaewon, uh, just the passage falls on the perfect one. And it's just divine. God speaks to people in a very timely manner. So I really believe that what God has spoken to me through this passage is going to speak to every one of you guys. So I really believe that it's going to really lead this side into a new level uh, of maturity. I'm going to talk about growing and maturing today. You guys ready for that? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 to 16. It's a lot. It's, It's long, but I will try to break it down. Try to break it down uh, like a Bible study style, and I'll bring the word to you guys. Um, Let's read from verses 3 to 16. We use ESV translation here. So verse 3, I know it kind of starts mid-sentence, but that's how I ended my sermon last week. So that's how we're going to start. Okay, so... Um, let's read it all together. If you have an ESP copy of the Bible, let's read it out, out loud together. One, two, three, go. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry or building up Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried away... you have ESV? It's a little different. Either mine's not. yours. Is. Okay, fine. Okay. We'll figure that out later. But um, certain wording's a little different, but okay, maybe different uh, year of publishing, whatever. Okay, the first is three to six. It's talking about unity of the spirit. Everyone say unity of the spirit. And Apostle Paul is telling us to eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It says maintain the unity, and this word in Greek, it's actually talking about unanimity, like agreement, consensus, oneness. So maintain the oneness of the Spirit uh, among you. So for example, he's um, the the situation, the background of this passage is that uh, there is some... Mixing up of different beliefs and systems and doctrines in this area of Ephesus, because there are Jewish believers and there are Gentile believers that are coming from Gre- greco roman uh, different cultural backgrounds and there are some crashes, and then some other teachers are coming in with different doctrines you know that teaching is false, this is right, and there 's a lot of confusion going on in this early church and um if you think about even today 's church there's a lot of differences going on among the Uh, denominations, you know, we sometimes fight, we butt heads, and then we accuse each other, you are wrong about this, I am right about that, all this stuff is going on, but Apostle Paul is exhorting us to maintain the unity of the spirit among the church. So he's saying the bottom line, do not mix things up, don't mix things up, and he says he makes, and then it's not like try to make things one, you know there's got to be one but he makes a declaration he said there is only one truth. He says there is one spirit, one body, one hope, one more, one faith, one baptism and one God and Father. You know he makes it exclusive. Do you guys know that truth is absolute? It's not relative. It's exclusive. Sometimes people get offended. Oh, Christians are so full of themselves. They always say that Christianity is the only truth, but that's what makes the truth real truth. It's exclusive. If we embrace that, yeah, that's right for you, and this is right for me. That's what my parents say. They're non-believers, and they always say, what works for you does not always work for me. But in terms of faith and in terms of way to heaven, in terms of way to God, there's only one way. It's got to be exclusive. Some people are very big on relativism, like it's always relative. Some some things are good for you, but not for me. It, that could be the truth for you, but not for me. You know, Christianity could work for this certain countries, but maybe not for some African countries. That's absolutely false. Truth is absolute, and it's not relative. It is exclusive. We got to say Jesus is the one way. He is the one truth, and we got to have the one faith in Him. Don't mix things up. There is only one. Apostle Paul is strong about this. You guys following? And make sure, he's saying, make sure that you guys preserve the oneness and unity among you. There's only one. Maintain the sound doctrine. Do not be swayed, and hold on to the sound practice of the doctrine. What you believe hold on to it. Have the right practice of it. He's mentioning what? One baptism. It's important to have the right doctrine and have the right practice of it. And Apostle Paul is saying, don't mix things up. Don't allow others come and sway you like that. Verse 7, he moves on to say, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. He says, but Hey, grace, it kind of differs. Grace, there are varied grace. So 1 Peter 4.10, it says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. That's what he said, varied grace. That means my grace that I receive from the Lord may look different than the grace that you have received. You know, my gifting is different than your gifting. The grace looks somewhat different right? And grace and gifts are very closely intertwined. So it's kind of like, you know, this verse says, but grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. But grace and gifts are almost, I think, synonymous. Because grace is what? Free gift from God. And gift is what? A gift of God's grace. You know, it's like, You can't really separate them. And then the nature and essence of grace is that we receive it as a free gift. And the free gifts that we receive from God is out of his grace. So grace and gift, confusing, right? Are you guys following? It's very much like synced together. It's like intertwined. And you cannot really separate them. And it says grace and gifts that's given to us according to the measure of Christ's gift so each individual steward different, varied grace, right? And this entire passage, I think I read it about like 32, 40 times just last night. I was trying to follow his thoughts. And I'm very big on understanding the heart of the writer. Why is Apostle Paul writing in such a manner that's so hard to follow, you know? There are all these parentheses going on. There's all these random quotation kick- They're kicked in, and I'm, like, trying to figure out, Apostle Paul, why are you writing, like, so hard? Like, it's so hard to follow, but let's really try to get what his heart behind this passage is, what he's trying to communicate to us through the context of the passage. You guys ready for that? Verse 11, I'm going to skip the one, the the quotation and also the parentheses, and I'm going to come back to it a little later, one minute later, okay? And we're going to jump from verse 7 to verse 11. Verse 7 talks about grace and Christ's gift. And in verse 11, it explains what those gifts are. And the gifts are like this. And he gave the the gift apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. These gifts are listed here. They're not gift cards to H&M. Not gift cards to Starbucks. These gifts that are listed are people. It's not Bobby Brown eyeshadows, which I love. It's not homemade cookies. It's the gifts that are listed are people with these offices. People that are called to these jobs and vocations. And God is saying, those are the gifts that I gave to the body. For example, you know, back in the Old Testament time, Israelites had 12 tribes, right? One of them, Levites, they were the designated, appointed people that were, their job was to serve in the temple, right? So they were the quote-unquote ministers, right? And just like that, we do have people that their job, career, vocation, office is ministers in the church. You guys following me, right? And then, like, an uh, easy term for, like, t- today's church will be full-time ministers or, like, pastors, the most common one, right? And he's talking about these people that are called to do ministry as their vocation and office. They are what? Gifts from God. For who? For you. Right? I appreciate that. Not for me. <laughs> really appreciate that. <laughs> You know, but unfortunately, in today's church, especially in the West, you guys would not hear a lot of these offices that are mentioned in the Bible. Mm, apostles, prophets, maybe some evangelists, you heard, right? Uh, pastors, there are a ton of them. Teachers, yeah, like Sunday school teachers, but also teachers of God's word. There are some, but it's sad, but some of them are just now widely recognized by the church today. But today, I am going to focus on the pastors, because those are the people that we have what? Access to. We have many pastors in this room. The one that's holding the mic is a pastor, right? So we're going to focus more on the pastors today as we dissect this word. You're demanding and annoying pastor back in youth group. He was a gift for you. Did you guys know that? My pastor that always yelled into the mic and always rebuked you and corrected you on your foolishness, he was a gift for you. Did you guys realize that? that one offensive pastor in New Philly. <laughs> I didn't mention names, okay? You can't tell if it's Caleb or Christian. <laughs> or maybe me. <laughs> you know, the offensive pastor that you find in New Philly, do you realize that it's a gift from God? It's God's grace for you. You know God's like, "Hey, you want a free gift today?" Son, and you're like, "Yeah, God, I would like some gift. What you going to give to me today? Free coffee? You know? What are you going to give to me?" He's standing right in o- front right in front of you. That man, <laughs> that chubby man. <laughs> That on weekdays, he cooks burgers at, at Sharky's. That man, your pastor, I gave him to you as a, as a gift. God's saying, man, take care of the gifts that I've given to you already. If you want to get more. You know, think about like a parent, you know. If you got like a, your child a really nice toy, and then you watch how, that, how your child like handles the toy, you know. Oh, does he appreciate it? Like, does he have a good time with the toy? And then based on that, you're going to give him or her a new toy. Like a new Barbie doll, right? God's like, hey, I've given you a perfect gift just right for you. Your pastor, gift of my grace. How are you stewarding that? How are you treating that gift? How are you playing with that toy that I've given to you? And let me see how you deal with it. Uh, Not that you are a toy. (laughs) But, you know, just the analogy. (laughs) I'm taking it too far. But, you know, let me see, my child, how you handle that gift and let me see what's coming after you know how are you treating the gift of god that is already in your life and before moving on i'm gonna go back to the part that we skipped uh, verses 8 to 10 it's very um i find, find myself like puzzled and kind of like dumbfounded. what is this you know like why is this quotation all of a sudden here and apostle paul like Were you, like, in your right mind? (laughs) What are you trying to say? You know, all these different commentaries that even have arguments about this. But I think, this is what I think is the most plain reading of the word, okay? The quotation, and there's parentheses, and there are words written in it. And then I'm going to read it for you, verses 8 to 10. Therefore, it says, talking about the gift uh, and God's grace. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. This quotation is from Psalm 68, Verse 18, and then parenthesis starts. Says, In saying, he ascended, what does it mean but that he has also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So Apostle Paul, being such a pastoral person, he was an apostle, but he dearly cared for the people there, and he had to clarify Because there were some heresies going on and people that were speaking different doctrines to the people that, hey, Jesus actually didn't really have the human body. You know, matter is evil. You know that whole Plato's, Plato, is that the right name, right? And, And the Greek understanding that matter is evil, spirit is holy and clean, so they cannot be mixed up. So there's no way for Jesus to come in incarnated body. So Jesus was a spirit, like a ghost, like a Casper, like who floated around on earth. But he actually didn't really have the physical body. That's what they insisted on because Jesus is holy. He is God. He is divine. That his divinity, yeah, but his his humanity was challenged by these people. But if you those groups are called Gnostics, but if you think about that, that damages the power of gospel greatly. It nullifies the power of the gospel that could work in our lives. And let me explain why. It's because, you know, think about like dissension, dissension, incarnation, and Jesus, how he was, he dwelt in a human body, okay? And um, in this Psalm 68, this verse is depicting Jesus as the victor, like victorious one that is ascending, to the highest place, right? He's going up to the highest place, and then there's a train of captives, which were the, his enemies, and they were all defeated, right? So all these, like, captives are behind him, and he's ascending, and he's going, I will give gifts among men. So he's releasing the gifts to men, and try to imagine this, you okay? And the fact that, so you... Paul is using that. The fact that he ascended back to heaven is a proof that he came down. He descended, right? He came down, and not just to an okay place, but to the lower parts of the earth, to the broken parts of the earth. You know, we are too used to the imagery of baby Jesus lying in the manger. And it's too beautified, I think. You know, manger, have you guys ever seen a manger? Some, some farm girls, right? You've seen though, right? It's nasty. It's dirty. It's pretty much what animals lick all the time, and it's it, Nobody ever washes it. It's the same food, and then animal licks it. Food again, licks it for years and years. It's pretty much a piece of rotting wood that's covered with saliva of animal, right? It's nasty, nasty thing. Jesus came, and he was born, not in just an inn or, like, like a, some ghetto motel. It's not even like that. It's like a parking lot of a motel. Like he came to the dirtiest of the dirtiest, the lowest. And then the Bible says he didn't have a place to put his head on. He was He was familiar to loneliness, familiar to rejection. He was familiar to suffering. Jesus had a difficult life. He knew hard labor. He was a carpenter, guys. When he came down, he didn't just come midway. He didn't just come halfway down. He came all the way down the lower parts of the earth so that he can meet woo, everyone. Here is he saying amen to me right now. Okay, So don't be bothered by that. I love it. Come on, girl. Give me some more amens. <laughs> you know? If you think about the dissension, how Jesus came in the flesh as a humble king, it's mind-blowing. We shouldn't gnome ourselves to the truth that, yeah, Jesus came as a man. No, it's a mystery of God. You know, all these People try to explain it logically, but logic doesn't make sense. It's just act of love and sacrifice. Jesus came all the way down. And at the same time, we cannot stop there. I personally, this is my personal thing. If you have one of these things at your house, don't feel like I'm condemning you, okay? I don't like seeing like a, you know, all these Catholic people at their homes. They have Jesus like hanging, like head always tilted like this. And he looks so defeated, so weak. He's dead. You know, Jesus on the cross, the, the you know, like ornament thing is, right? I personally don't like them. You know why? Because my Jesus is risen. He's no longer on the cross. He's not put on that wooden piece thingy. He's risen. He's sitting on the right hand of God. And so many people, we have that, oh, pathetic Jesus. Poor Jesus. He was crucified. Oh, poor thing. No, Jesus was risen, guys. Yeah, there was a momentary suffering that he went through. However, he got over, overcame the dead. He overcame the grave. He was victoriously Risen. He went up to the highest place in the heavenlies, sitting on the right hand of God. You know, but Jesus in, in Christians' minds and in our heads, we gotta we got to reconcile those thoughts. Yeah, Jesus was the humble king. Yes, he was crucified, but he is the recent one. He is the victorious one. He's the one that overcame death and grave, and he's alive in your life. Stop letting him be powerless in your life. Like the dead Jesus on the cross. That's got to go. Something more happened after that. He descended, yeah, and he also ascended, went back to the Father. And if you think about this imagery again, the best word I can think of is like the coverage. Think about the coverage of it, okay? He came to the lowest point, and he went up to the highest point. And every single human being on this earth fall into that coverage. Jesus covered them all. There's no one that could go lower than death and grave. You guys agree? There's no one that can go higher than the place he's at. If you think about how much Jesus covered, he covered everyone. And this word says that he did that so that he might fill all things. So that Jesus could fill all things. All people, everyone, that includes you and I, includes any person on the street, no matter how broken and lonely they are, no matter how of a difficult life they had, he covered them all. No matter how chalasa, no matter how puffed up they are, no matter how proud they are, they have a chance as well. Jesus is the highest one. President of Korea, she can of course get saved. Because Jesus covered them all. He isn't just for the lowly. He isn't just for the rich. He covered everyone. Everyone falls into that coverage. He covered us fully. And Apostle Paul, with his burning zeal, had to put this in. Because all these Gnostics were trying to nullify the power of the gospel. He didn't have the physical body. He didn't actually go through all these things. Then what happened? That Jesus cannot save them. You know, where's the power of the gospel? No, Jesus came, went through all these things, but don't forget, he ascended again. So everyone is included. Everyone can be filled up by his grace. Apostle Paul's emphasizing that. I think it's a powerful imagery. And going back to the gift part, the grace, the gift the people that he has sent to us, going back to that verse 12, explains the purpose of why these people, these officers are given to us. Verse 12. It says to equip, everyone say to equip. equip. Very good. The saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So many people think ministry, oh, that's a pastor's job. So and so ministry, oh. 전도사님's job, you know, the evangelist, teacher's job. Ministry is, is it really a pastor's job? I disagree. Pastor's job is to equip you, all saints, to go out and to do the work of ministry. When I first became a pastor, my one of my roles was uh, a per-team leader. And uh, when I took per-team leader's role, and I was under the deception that, oh, man, I got to now do all the, all prayer in the world. Like, you know, I'm now the praying machine, and I got to do all the prayer, you know, all waking moments. I got to pray and pray and pray. But my job actually wasn't really to do all prayer. My job was to raise up my team members. My job was to equip them to go and you guys pray. Not that I didn't pray, <laughs> Okay. But, you know, it's, it's like that. Ministers, yeah, they are called to minister, yes. But their job isn't to do all ministry themselves, and pastors are the only ones. But no, our job is to equip every saint, all of you, to go into the ministry. It's, it's not our, it's, just, it's not just our responsibility, you know. All saints are ministers. Every believer is a minister. No matter how young you are in your faith, God can use you and you are a minister. You can minister to the heart of God. You can minister to God's people. You can reach out to the lost. No matter where you are in your faith, all saints are ministers of God. And our job, speaking as a pastor, is to train them up raising them up, raising them up so that they will go out and do the work. I'm not saying that all of you are called to be missionaries, but you are to be a missionary at your workplace. Do I have access to your school? No, I don't. Do I know the people, your coworkers? I, I don't. But what I can do is I can equip and train Julie and send her into her hub on or school, and girl, you do your job. You know, that's my part. I train you up, and you go expand God's kingdom. That's how it works. If pastors, for us to do all the work, all the ministry that's needed in this world, it's never going to reach all the people. Every town, every tribe, they all got to be reached, right? It's never going to happen. You know, it's us training them up, building them up, so that they will go and do the work of ministry. In Malaysia, uh, what really, really encouraged me was we go with the same spirit, the same heart. We don't go there to do all the work and take credit and come back, okay? We're not going there to, oh, transform Malaysia. Yeah, that is our heart, but we know that God is already working there. We know that there are workers there. We know that there are leaders there, and God wants to build them up. And our job was to go empower them, equip them, and be the examples for them, and pray for them so that after we leave, they will do the work of God. What's the point of going there for a week if we are taking all the burden and, oh, we got to do everything within a week and we come back? And where is the lasting fruit? You know, it's got to be us going, empower them so that they can do the ministry after we leave. That's how this works. And in Malaysia, it was so powerful. I remember our team got split up into uh, two different groups. And my group went to this one, um, we went, like, house visitings, okay? We went to, like, home to home, door to door, literally sat down, and then we had to drink. They, they love Milo. Do you guys know what Milo is? It's like Nesquik. It's like a Nesquik, like a chocolatey drink. And then they drink it really uh, watered down, so it's... It's um, it's very good. Yeah, right. (laughs) Captain loved Milo, man. Anyways, every house that we sit down, they give us Milo. They give us crackers, and then you know, hospitality. We gotta receive it with Thanksgiving. So we drank like eight, nine cups of Milo every single day. You know, within like a span of two hours, and we'll be all sugar high. (laughs) That's oh man, it was really, really good. Like connecting with the people there. But what we did was house to house, we visit them, and what we do. This one particular house. There was this grandma sitting. Uh, she was halfway paralyzed. Her right side of the body was completely paralyzed because of a stroke. She was just sitting on the couch, and then there were four men, and then about two ladies. Uh, I don't know how they are related. They don't speak any English, so we were just trying to communicate, with like, body language and stuff. And we, when we first entered, so much empathy. I gathered my team girls and team members to pray for this grandma, and they were just, like, watching us as if, like, they... Don't care about this lady, you know? And we prayed for her, prayed for her. We didn't really see much change. And then we, okay, we contended. uh, Now let's fellowship. Sat down, sat around. Our brother Ted Grillo, uh, our intern pastor Emily was there. Julie was there, right? We were, like, hanging out and drinking Milo together. And all of a sudden, I see, like, a spark of revival going on over there when where Ted, Ted Grillo was sitting, right? And Ted Grillo was, like, passionately speaking into this man, guy's not understanding anything. <laughs> but still, like, he's full of zeal, you know. And pain, pain, sakit, sakit was, like, the one word that we knew. It was pain, right? So sakit, sakit, like sakit, like, you know, body language. And then the guy's like, oh, yeah, sakit, sakit. So they all are involved in palm oil, like, palm, like, oil industry so they carry them it's really heavy so they, all of them have like shoulder aches shoulder pains and back aches and things like that so that guy said oh suck it suck it on my back the heavy things that i carry you know so ted started praying for him and and then and, and ted told him to like get up and like jump up and down and do the jumping jacks and stuff so he started doing that and surprisingly he says no pain hundred percent healed and he was He was full of joy, and he kept doing jumping jacks. He was sweating, and like, you know, wow, pain is fully gone. Praise the Lord. And then the guy next to him goes, I have shoulder pain, shoulder pain, you know. (laughs) Me, me, me. Now me, me too, you know. He joins in, and then the guy that just got healed laid a hand on him and then prayed for the healing, 100% healing. Like shoulder pain no more. And then now two men are jumping up and down together, saying, testifying that, oh, man, all pain is gone. Our God is healer, right? And then third man joined. Fourth man joined. All four of them received 100% healing from all their pains. And now they were pumped up. Man, this is awesome. Let's pray for more people. What happened was, so before we left that house, we wanted to pray for the grandma one more time. Gathered them around. I mean, we gathered, and then all those four men were up close now. And they were all laying hands. They were all praying out loud, you know. Ten minutes ago, they were all like, What are they doing? Shrinking their Milo's. Now they are fired up, you know. They prayed and we prayed. We didn't see the immediate healing uh, other than just a huge smile on her face. But we blessed her and then we left the house and these men followed us to the next house. Isn't that what you see in the Bible when Jesus ministers and sets people free? They follow Jesus and do the same thing. That's exactly what we saw. Next house, they followed us, you know. And then they were the translators for us, so they didn't, they didn't understand themselves, but, you know, they kind of saw what we did, so they were trying to, you know, like, communicate for us, they paired up with us, prayed for people, saw healing after healing after healing, and now four men became seven, seven men became ten, so, like, these ten men followed into a long house, which is, like, an apartment, but it's, like, a horizontal apartment, so it's, like, door, 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 like, 60 households together, that's, like, a, their own, like, Type of like housing. Went into this long house, We all danced together. Like Malaysian dance is intense, man. Ask Julie to show it to you later, <laughs> Catherine. We all danced together and we drank Milo again. We prayed for sick people. Man, what I saw was multiplication. This is kingdom of war. Yeah, kingdom of God expanding through the native people. We empower them. And now I know after we leave, they're going to do the same thing. They will gather. They will pray for the sick. And later we found out actually that those four men, the initial four men were the elders of the church. were minister. How divine, you know? God is just good, man. We don't have to understand everything, but God's working through everything. That's what I'm talking about here. Every believer, every believer, they, they come to church thinking that I need more ministry. Meet my needs. I'm the consumer. You know, I'm in need. Minister to me. Pray for me. But in fact, you have so much to give to others as well. Yeah, you are, you, you, you need ministry, but also you have ministry to give out to others. Amen, girl. <laughs> you know, ministry works that way. It's not that, uh, pastor do ministry. I'm here to receive. No, you minister to me. I minister to you. That's how the body of God will be built up. I am so excited. Where am I right now? <laughs> to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. King James Version, I really like how King, King, King James, right? King James <laughs> translated this verse. He wrote, for the perfecting of the f- saints. The same verse, he said, for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. I really like this word, perfecting. Perfecting as a verb, perfect perfect as a verb, it's actually uh, the same word in Greek to to mature. Like, bring maturity is like bringing um, perfection. It's, it's synonymous. So mature man, meaning pretty much full-grown man, complete man, a perfect man. That's what it means when the Bible says mature person. That's what it means. Perfectly grown into the image of Christ. And that's what it means. And I'm going to talk a lot about maturing right now. But I think when a local church um, gets planted or gets started, I think the real turning point um, in the dynamic of the local church starts with Consumers to like ministers of God. And I believe, and I recall that my spiritual walk with the Lord also had a radical shift when I came out of, I'm the victim. You gotta pray for me. I am needy. I am demanding to, oh, God can speak through me. God can work through me. I can pray for people and make them cry as well. Like that was a powerful transition. I remember finding out that that should for the first time. Now I pray for someone in the Philippines on a mission trip. I was the youngest on the team, and uh, Mina was on the team too, right, 2007, not too long ago, and I was like 15, uh, and uh, <laughs> just kidding, okay, <laughs> oh, yeah, anyway, so I'm a little older than that, uh, but we went to Philippines, and I prayed for this worship leader girl, but she was tone deaf, like complete tone deaf, but she was a worship leader, I remember, like, oh, man, I got to pray for her later, <laughs> you know? I got to pray for her later. And then uh, during, like, altar call ministry time, the prayer time, I remember kind of, like, just going up to her, not knowing what I was doing, but I just prayed for her, kind of hugged her and prayed for her. And uh she got powerfully ministered by the Spirit of God. Like, supernatural sign kind of appeared, and I was like, well, what just happened? God could use someone like me? Like that's like nonsense you know i was not even a leader i wasn't even properly discipled but then wow god could use me as a minister to nations that was a whole lot like that was breakthrough in my head you know and i think when people come into church thinking that i'm the one that needs ministry you know feed my needs when they have the shift oh no I need some, yeah, but I also have something to give. I have something to contribute. I belong to this body, and they also need me. That's a radical and powerful shift. And I think God is taking seaside through that season right now. God is raising up new leaders. Guys, don't think of it as a burden or responsibility. Think of it as a privilege that you get to build up the body. As you were built up and sold into, now you get to sew back in. Now you get to raise up these mighty warriors, along with other pastors here. How beautiful is that? Think of that vision. It's not us trying to put on more responsibility on you or work you, like, you know, like give you works and things to do. But it really is sharing that honor and privilege and turning you into the minister of God, builders of God's house. Is there greater honor than that? You know? Consumer Christianity is, is good for a few months. But that's pretty much it. You know? You come back needy. You come back needy. You come back needy. When you feel like your needs are not met, you want to leave and find a better pastor. You know? That's the mentality, the consumer mentality of the Christians these days. The Bible not telling us to do that at all. If you think about uh, Newfield's structure, leadership structure, um, you know we one of our core values is that anointing flows from the top down we talk about it a lot and it goes from the lead pastors to the core leaders, core leaders to the active leaders who are the smuggled leaders, smuggled leaders to um, the members or the reserve leaders, and then that to newcomers and there's like a pyramid that 's um, beautifully built up and I Want to recognize that your small group leader isn't just discipling you because, um, because of like her or his own compassion or zeal. They are appointed over you. The pastors, one of the gifts listed here, they have the oversight and then they appoint people over you. So they are not doing it out of their own authority or out of their own goodness, or out of their own compassion, they are appointed over you, so they there, therefore are your shepherds, in a sense. That shepherding grace gets flowed, flowed down, no, flown down, flown down, flows down, <laughs> that shepherding grace <laughs> flows down through your group leader, through your ministry team leader. And then you get to enjoy the benefit of that, you know? So don't think of it as, oh, my pastor, Pastor Christian Lee and Aaron Lee, the lead pastors, and they're the only ones that I'm going to submit to. They are only Those two are only pastors that I'm going to listen to. No, they appointed people over you, Pastor Caleb and Pastor Mina. They appointed community care pastor, Pastor Lydia. They appointed small group leaders, community care group leaders over you. And then it, it goes down like that. So appointing, it's a key concept. Because so many people see their lead pastors, you know, oh yeah, they I need to listen to them. But then the people that are appointed by them, they treat them with contempt. Who are you to tell me those things? You know, let me just talk to Pastor Christian. I will email him directly. I'm not listening to you, noble. You know, like it doesn't work like that. People are appointed by your spiritual leader and it, there's grace that flows down. Hey, that's how God's kingdom works. Oil flows down from the beard of Aaron and then all the way to the bottom. Everyone gets covered when we submit to the structure that God has built. It's important. It's a lesson and teaching that everyone has to get a hold of. Verse 13. All of you are ministers of God. Amen? Man, i got to make you say it. Turn to your neighbor. Sorry, i got to do it. Turn to your neighbor. Tell them, I am a minister of God. I am a minister of God. You are. You really are, okay? <laughs> verse 13, it goes like this. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. To summarize this verse, I'll say maturity. Having the fullness of knowledge of who Christ is. Having the unity in faith. You know, to the mature manhood, which means a full-grown man. It's another translation. You know, not a child, not a boy, but a full-grown man. You know, it's talking about how believers are exhorted to maturity, right? How many of you want to mature in the Lord? I really want to. It's just coming very slow. (laughs) Really want to mature in the Lord to the fullness of how Christ was, you know? And that's got to be our utmost desire. I want to be like him. I want to mature. I want to stop acting like a little kid. You guys know some people that are big in size, but they act like little kids? Can I just be frank? There are people like that. They grew up in size. They grew up in their body physically, but in their minds and their hearts are little kids just reality. So many people like that. Until we attain the unity of faith, unity of the knowledge of Christ, which we manhood. You know, think about how the body of Christ is the church, right? And if you think about how Jesus came as a little tiny baby, he grew to a boy, teenager, and he grew to a full-grown man. He was a built man, carpenter. He had some muscles, right? He was a strong man. He grew. He was built up. In the natural, that's how Jesus grew. What about the body of Christ, the church? Mm -hmm. We are not to remain as a child or a baby, infant, not a boy. That's not our calling. Looking like Justin Bieber, that's not it. (laughs) I love Justin Bieber, though. That's not it. He has to grow up, and the body of Christ has to grow up. We cannot remain as a child or boy or a teenager. we got to become a full-grown man. The so question is, how? Question is how. Question is how? Let's look at verse 14 and how the maturity looks like. Let's get into that first. Maturity, okay, how does that look like? Mature manhood, like full grown men. What does that even mean? This explains. Verse 14. It says this. So that we may no longer be children, tossed. To and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Let me break this down. Let me show you how immature person lives. Number one, it says, tossed to and fro by the waves. Waves, what it symbolizes, is difficulties in life, challenges, crises, circumstance changes. I lost my job. Broke up with my boyfriend. I am broke financially. Um, so-and-so, someone close to me passed away. Um, having difficulty in relationship with my friends. Difficulties that you face every day. But it says children are tossed to and fro by the waves. When circumstances changes, you are moved by it. You are swayed by it. When it hits you to the right, you move to the right. Hitch you to the left, you're left, you're to the left. That's how immature children live. And that's how lifestyle is. Something difficult happen, you're all down. I'm so depressed. I'm having a difficult time. Pity party. Blaming it on other people. Or not willing to get out of the funk and staying there. Somebody go, come rescue me. You know? Let me, let me, you know, like well, how Korean children are, you know? Like, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, life sucks. That kind of attitude. You know, and I'm putting on Facebook, the status change is all depressing. Like Nobody cares about me. You know, all those immature acts of an adult. Why? Because they never learn to swim through those waves. Adults, mature people, we need to learn how to swim through the waves that come at us and not be swayed, but still be focused and have direction. Not to be like, oh, my life sucks. I just lost my job. I'm a failure. No. What did Christ say? No, you are perfectly, fearfully, and wonderfully made. I have plans for you. Believing for God's promise and not be swayed to and fro. That's why a mature person handles these difficulties. Frustration is one way to react out of immaturity. When things happen to you, oh, so frustrated. You know, that's a sign of weakness, sign of um, lack of trust, you know. Frustration is one of those ways that immaturity shows up and manifests. Anxiety. Oh, when, whenever something happens, you're all like shaken up, so anxious, I can't sleep at night. Anger, another way. You know, all these different things. God wants us to move on from those ways. Not to condemn anyone in this room, guys, but it's the exhortation that all of us need to embrace. God wants us not to be swayed by this world and by the waves that come. Rather, he wants us to swim through. No, I know where I'm going. I know I am loved. I know I am accepted. I know God has a purpose. So I'm going for it. No one can shake me. Nothing can shake my God's plans for my life. Maturity comes like that. Number two, it says, carried about by every wind of doctrine. This was a big issue in this church back in these days. False teachers will come and teach them things that are very um pleasant in their ears. Itching, itchy teachings, right? Oh there's things that sound really good and attractive. Oh that that's very um you know easier things to believe per se if you are dealing with persecution because we are Christian belief, when someone says, oh, actually, you know, in Korea, it's okay to do ancestor worship. That's not compromise. You know, God's mercy covers it. It's just our custom, you know? It's just our cultural thing. No, it's compromise. What God clearly says, no, don't have any idols before me. Right? But those teachings come and people are swayed. Gyeongsang province, where Busan belongs to, Catholic church actually uh, allowed with their denominational law kind of stuff that ancestors' worship is actually okay. That's what they pronounced, and that's been the way, that's been the culture of Catholic church. So all the people, the Catholic people that I know in Gyeongsang province, they all do jesa, they all bow down to their idols, ancestors, wish for their blessings. It's allowed. False teaching. People are swayed by those teachings. People are carried about, oh, Different doctrine, that's easier to accept. Go with it. Whatever tastes better in my mouth, I'll take it. Kind of mentality. Not knowing how to study the word myself. Not knowing how to digest the word of God. Not knowing how to discern the word of God. Reading isn't enough, guys. This book isn't given to us just for us to open on Sundays. And throughout the week, it's Extra pillow, you know, <laughs> or a nice decoration in your room. No, this book isn't. Hasn't been given to us for that purpose. It is to be digested like food, solid food like steak. Not just drink milk, but it's given to us like a meat for us to chew on. And there's nourishment that's gonna come out of it. We gotta learn how to discern, how to study the Word of God. And make the decision and stance on what I believe in. What is the sound doctrine in my heart? I'm not saying everyone has to have the same theology. It's just practically not possible. However, you got to have at least what you believe and what you cannot be swayed about, you know? It's another sign of immaturity if you are being swayed by doctrine. If you're just friends like, hey, really? I heard that really loud. I don't know about that. You know, and then you're all of a sudden, oh, I don't know if I keep, have to keep coming out here. I'm, I'm nervous. It makes me uncomfortable. But the Bible tells us to be loud in worship, play skillfully and clap your hands. Don't you have psalm in your Bible, you know? It tells us to sing loud to the Lord, give him the highest praise. What's wrong with that? Anthony is living out psalms, you know? <laughs> That's how we are called to worship. And yeah, we shout, we, we jump, we, we clap in the Lord. Rejoice in worship. You know, read the word and determine and decide and discern what is the voice of God and what is not. You know what I'm saying? Wind of doctrine. People are, immature people are carried about by every wind of doctrine. Number three, human cunning. If you look at the original language, it's interesting. Human cunning, in literal translation, it's dice playing, dice, dice playing of men. That's what it means, human cunning, like uh, human cunning, dice playing of men. chooseose how you notify men, like what does that mean? you know um and different people say different things about this, but uh if you if you think about just dice playing, oh, do not be swayed by dice playing of men. like right, what does that? What would that mean? Some people say that uh people try to trick you like when they play like board game or whatever, dice playing, like people try to trick you, you know people try to like. Manipulate you, so don't be swayed by that. I think that makes sense. But when I read it like plainly, I thought of the first thing that came to my mind was ups and downs. Dice playing, lowest you can get is what one. Highest you can get is six, right? And sometimes you play dice playing, and then sometimes you have to just go back to square one, you know. And then you throw it again. Oh, two. Oh. Play it again. Oh, six. Play it again. Oh, three. You know, like ups and downs. And sometimes it's going well. Sometimes it's not. You know, sometimes you get the highest number. Sometimes you have to go back to square one. Oh, you know. Dice playing for me, there's a lot of thrill with it. But if it's not really a game, it it could be very hard to trust. You know, really hard to trust God for ups and downs of your life. Because you really don't have control over it. Sometimes God will give you one. Sometimes God will give you six. Sometimes you will land on a wrong spot and then it will put you back on square one and start all over again. You really don't have any control over it. Dice playing of men, it just got me thinking, man, all these ups and downs that really have so much authority on my life. When things work out well, yay, I'm oh, so happy. And when something goes a little wrong, I'm like, why is it going to be so difficult, you know? Number four, it says craftiness and deceitful schemes. Different translations present similar words that involve a lot of um error, strain. It talks a lot about like lies that are trying to deceive you. That's like the core words that um that this verse is trying to say, like deception, like cunning, like Evil that's done against you, like deception and things like that. People could let you down. How many of you guys know that? People could let you down many times, right? And sometimes they will do it intentionally. Some people will hurt you um, with evil intention. Some people will manipulate you. Some people will hurt your feelings. um, And are you going to be swayed by that every time that happens? Are you going to be so heartbroken whenever relationships go wrong? Whenever people say stuff to you, you you know, are you going to go hit the floor, bottom, rock bottom? Every time you deal with relationships, like, is that how you are going to be? Are you going to give the person that much authority over God's word? You know? Uh, It's the fact that what someone says could really destroy you, it means that person's words have so much authority even over the Word of God. You know? Think think about that. You know? That person trying to, like, whatever, you know? Like, do people have that much authority over your life, really? Over the power of the Word of God? Really shouldn't be that way, right? But people do get shattered. Shattered. And words that are spoken by people. Deceptions that are released by people. Evil intentions that you sense from people. Like it really destroys people more than anything else. It's because relationships are important. Because people that say those things, sometimes there are people that are important to you. Right? But really, are you going to give them that much authority over what God says over you? Maturity manifests in a way you respond to the deceitful schemes and words of people. Mature people do not get swayed by that. And I think through all these things, Apostle Paul is explaining and exhorting us to pretty much grow up. Grow up. People of God, grow up. Do not remain as a child. Sometimes growing is painful. It's not easy. It's not automatic. You know, even physical growth, it has pain. It gives you pains, 성장통, like growing pains, things like that. You have to deal with those things. You know, sometimes growing is by choice. It is painful. It's costly. But Word of God is saying, do not remain as a child. Continue to grow. Do not be shaken by all these things. And I think... (laughs) For us to really reach the place of maturity, a full grown man, a strong man, into the image of fullness of Christ. It's back to the same question. How? How? Many ways. But I think God's given us the key for the growth of maturity in this very passage. He's given it to us. And let me direct you guys back to the gifts that are given for us. After I'm done preaching, I want to encourage you guys to go home and read this passage again. With the things that I shared in your mind, it's going to make so much more sense. We just don't have enough time for that. As you meditate the flow of his thoughts, so yeah, that, so I, I gave you this, and I want you guys to mature and grow, and the key is, yeah, those gifts that i given you, remember, you already have the key. And in this passage, he said that the gifts of his grace are given to the body of Christ. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. In verse 15, it says, rather speaking the truth in law, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. I'm going to close with this. How do I become that minister? Pastor Myung, that you talked about. How do I graduate from becoming just a consumer of ministry and become the minister of God? How do I mature? I would love to, I want to. How do I grow up? How do I mature? God gave you a very crucial key in this passage that a free gift has come to you for your growth and maturity, which is your pastors. We have lead pastors in Seoul that cover all campuses of ours, Pastor Christian, Pastor Aaron. They are truly sacrificial and loving shepherds that I it's, it's my boasting in the Lord. And here, at Seaside Campus, who do we have? We have pastors Mina and Caleb. My question is this. If you've been coming out to Seaside for a while, if you identify yourself as a member or a committed attendee of this campus, how are you stewarding and receiving the free gift that came for your sake? How are you stewarding these two? How are you receiving these two? Like a toy that you receive? Or are you receiving them with honor, with submission? Are you giving them the access to speak into your life? When they correct you, when they give you the life-giving rebuke, how do you respond to that? How are you stewarding The gift of God. God loves giving good gifts. You guys agree? When God gives gifts, he always looks to the response of his children. Hey, I gave you this. And he always watches what you do with it. You know? And like I said earlier, so many Christians, their mentality is, Hey, my pastor is just not good enough. He's all right. But I think I would rather go to another church and find a better pastor. Consumer mentality again. But are you saying that God's gift for you in this season is not good enough? Isn't that what you are saying? That God's gift for you actually lacks something. Is that what you are saying? But doesn't the word of God says He gives good and perfect gift? Doesn't the Word of God say He knows you better than you do? He knows your needs, He knows what you need to hear. He gives you, the shepherd, the pastor over you accordingly. It really, is up to how we receive the spiritual leaders that are put over us. That is, I want to emphasize, the key for your maturity. Key for growth really is kept in these two. And I know honor is something that's very hard to talk about as a pastor or as a leader. I know a lot of guys who agree, even in the company settings, as a leader, teaching about honor is like, pretty much saying, you got to honor me. You know, I had a very difficult situation in Malaysia, our team, and I was stuck in that dilemma. I knew our team, because we believe in New Philly, that life flows through honor. When we honor, it's not just for them to feel good about themselves, but we do believe when we honor our leaders, According to Bible, life flows down from them. Anointing, blessings come down from your spiritual leader. And that's what we believe. And as I was watching our team interact with our team leader and also myself, I had moments of frustration. And I had to also battle with sense of entitlement. You know, am I just being, you know, like ugh, proud, you know? Am I speaking out of frustration? Am I speaking out of sense of entitlement? I'm not entitled to anything. But I do have authority and I do have the call to exhort the body of Christ to really live in honor. Had to make the difficult decision. I'm like, man, it's going to sound like you got to honor me better. But am I going to do that? Because if I don't do, I'm robbing my team of the greater blessing that's going to come through my leader and also my leadership. Am I going to address it or not? Dilemma, right? What did I have to do? I had to sit them down, tell them straight up how it was. You heard it, right? hmm Was it good? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now I had to give them the teaching about honor. And I know at Hillside Campus, it's our culture now. Everyone outdo one another in honor for our leaders. Each one, they're being established in it, in the process. Seaside, I believe it's somewhat new. But I do believe that God wants to bring that teaching into this campus. That truly, when you honor the gift of God that is over you, God's words will flow through them. Clarity will flow through them. Blessings will flow through them. Let me testify. It's just the way God orchestrated and ordained it to be. Let them speak into your life. When they correct you, rebuke you, say thank you. Thank you that you have oversight. Thank you that you have insight into my life. Thank you for being the voice of God in my life. Thank them. Submission, another thing. If you would believe God speaks through your leader, why would their words offend your mind? You know, it's because you don't think that God will speak through them. But no, God says, I will speak through your leaders. Submission is very key. Really, not about always gathering and doing the Bible study together, the discipleship thing. The whole discipleship, I could do the same Bible study with two people. Two people, let's say. One doesn't see me with honor or submission or appreciation. Let's say the other is overflowing with all those things. I guarantee the measure of growth and maturity that's going to come forth from those two will be radically different. I see that person A keep going back to the same problems. I, I can to- totally tell you. I will tell her to be encouraged. but She won't be encouraged because my words have no power. She's going to let it fall to the ground. But the girl B, I say, be encouraged. God is with you. She's going to believe it, submit to it, shift her minds around it, She's gonna thank me, honor me, blessings will go through and reach her. The fruit that I'm gonna see at the end of the small group season will be radically different, guys. And, um, I was talking to Anna. Anna is one of the church plan team that uh, initially came. She's sitting right there. Anna was uh, my small group member for a season? Two? Uh, for a year, right? And, um, her ways of honor, submission, appreciation that she showed to me was life-changing for me. And also through that, it changed her life. And I really believe the reason why she's able to serve here so powerfully with such anointing, I take some credit for that. But <laughs> well, like, what I'm trying to say is because of the way she responded and stewarded the gift of God in her life, which was me, labeled as Myunga Choi, because of the way she stewarded me, she reaped a whole lot of blessing. God blessed her. She matured. She grew. Every week I saw her. One week she'll be broken. Next week she'll be a different person. Next week she'll come as a different person growth, maturity. I saw her change every single week. It was mind-blowing. Wow, God, I see you moving in that girl's life. And God revealed it to me. It's because of how she's stewarding you, because of the way she's stewarding your words. That's how it works, Seaside. I see dramatic maturity and growth that's coming through the Discipleship ministry that's starting. If you didn't sign up, Sign up. Be a part of that. Let your leaders cover you, speak into you, make you into a person with the full-grown stature of Christ. And us together, the body is being built up. Anna's testimony isn't just Anna's. Anna's discipling who? Catherine. And what I saw in Malaysia was double portion. She's so much younger. She was so much younger in her faith. Um, but, like, the way she's growing under Anna's leadership, mind-blowing. It's crazy. Can't believe that she's only 20. You know? But with the teaching about honor and teaching about submission, I know Catherine, she's gonna, she's gonna be an amazing, powerful one of, one of God. I just know it. Watch out. Seaside, watch out. You know, key to maturity, today, what God is emphasizing, do not miss it. It's your leaders. It is your pastors. Given to you, freely, perfectly made for you. It's like tailor-made suit. It fits you. Don't tell God that God, the gift that you gave me, don't fit me. Don't tell him that. He says no, it fits you perfectly. You just gotta lose some weight. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what guy's saying, but it fits you perfectly and I know it. It just feels uncomfortable at the beginning, but it fits you perfectly. And I know that God's doing his hand is all over, his that, and I know God is moving. So if you are tempted about I don't know, dropping accountability, discipleship please don't. Please remain in the place where your leaders can speak into you directly. And I guarantee as you steward these gifts from God, you will grow. You will mature. You will not be swayed. You will not go to and fro. Those days will end. And I will see marvelous fruit coming out of seaside. Today, I'm going to end my sermon with this. We want to pray for Pastors Caleb and Mina. Mm. So I'm gonna invite you to stand up. Caleb was very uncomfortable. <laughs> very uncomfortable, but um it's word of God. This is the word of the Lord. And I'm going to invite everyone to actually stand to your feet. Um if you're a newcomer, like it's your first Sunday, um, no one's pushing you to pray or whatever, it's really okay. So just be yourself and be comfortable. But if you really see that God has called you to seaside. If you really see that God is moving and this is where you want to be, do not put one foot out and one foot out, one foot in. Be all in, guys. These two are really laying down their lives, for this church plant. These two are radically surrendering to the call of God. They are here, committed to love you, cover you, care for you, pray for you. These two powerful men and women of God are here for you guys. Do not let their words fall to the ground. Show them the honor that is due Show them the submission, knowing God speaks through them very clearly. I can testify that. Powerful ministers, and they will equip you, turn you into mighty warriors. This is the place, I believe, for many of you. So I want to invite some people, if you're near them, just come around them. Just lay hands on them. Feel free to touch them. (laughs) It's really blessed them. It's been 11 months already. It's been 11 months um, since they got married and then came down. Oh, no, no, no. Marriage is way longer than that, but 15 months, not that. (laughs) But they came down and started this church plan, and they are going strong. And I want the army at Seaside to really grow in honor. All right? So these two are the keys. So I want to just invite you guys to pray, at least blessing over them. Let's really honor them. More than anything, let's honor them in the spirit in our prayers. Yeah, Can we do that? Father, we honor you. More than anyone else, God, we honor you. And because you have sent these two, Father, down to seaside, Father, we honor the plans and purposes that you have for this campus. And God, I thank you that you have appointed these two over the flock of sheep here, God. Lord, I thank you that they are fully equipped. They are, Father, um, fully prepared really to lead this flock into maturity, fullness of Christ, God. Lord, I thank you that they really lack nothing. We recognize them, God, as free gift that came for us from you, Lord. God, we thank you for them. God, we thank you for their sacrifices. We thank you for their obedience. Thank you for all the hard labor that they put into. Thank you for, Father, all the discipleship and counseling. Thank you for their time. Thank you for their prayers, God. Lord, I thank you that all the fruit that we see here, it's flowing down from these two. So, Lord, not because they're entitled to it, But because it's your heart to honor these two, Father, we publicly recognize them. We publicly honor honor them, God. And Lord, we pray, God, that you will give them more, Father, double portion of your anointing, double portion of your goodness of Father to be carried out to the people in Busan, God. So, Lord, we thank you that there is more. And God, I pray for Seaside Campus, that every single person that comes to this campus, God, that they will truly learn this lesson of honor, submission, and appreciation, God. And I establish this to be the culture at Seaside. I establish, Father, the culture of honor at Seaside Campus. And Lord, I thank you that you are delighting over this moment, that you are, Father, shifting and changing hearts, God, that you are, Father, disallowing all the hearts of contempt of Father in this place. And Lord, I thank you that every single person in this room is set aside for the journey and path of honor. So, Lord, we thank you for your beautiful commands and beautiful laws and your beautiful just precepts, God, that's given for us. And it's our desire to grow and mature. And God, we receive this key that came into a form of people. And God, we make up our minds to continue to mature and grow. Seaside will mature. Seaside will mature. This campus, each individual will mature. It shall not be a child anymore, not a boy anymore. It shall continue to mature into a full-grown man. Father, we see it in the Spirit. We speak it out. We prophesy a full-grown man of maturity in this campus. Father, we thank you for today. We honor these two. In Jesus' name, amen.